Hello and welcome to episode 201 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the writer and director Eskil Vart. This is a great interview and we get to focus purely on his brand new film, The Innocents. Right now, as we're sitting here, it's one of my favourite films of the year. It's a true masterpiece in horror and honestly has some of the most incredible child acting performances you will ever see. It will stay with you for a long time and you'll be thinking about it for a long time to come. It's that good. And that interview's coming up in just a couple of moments time. But before we get there, we do have to touch base and talk about the last episode. It was a huge one for me personally, episode 200. And I was joined by David Woodjat. Yes, my dad. And I never ever anticipated the response to be as big as it was. It was huge. I saw a whole load of brand new listeners join us. I've seen so much feedback on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And my dad was absolutely blown away. I am so, so grateful for everyone that took the time to listen. It was always a risk for me. I didn't know if putting my own family up there for the big 200 was a risk or not. But it wasn't. Everybody loved it and I'm so, so happy. But let's get back to today's episode. As I said, this is a huge one for the horror fans. Eskil Vart talking all things The Innocents. So Eskil, thank you for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Well, thanks for having me. What I'd like to do today for anyone that's tuning in for the first time to discover your work is take it right back to the very start. So can you tell me, maybe you were a child or in your teenage years, those first films that you watched that you fell in love with instantly that made you fall in love with film? That's such a, I'm, I'm such a huge uh, film buff. Uh, and that was my way into films, just loving movies. I, I can't. I have this, uh, uh, a lot of people my age who are working in movies have the same answer of watching Back to the Future in the Amazing. cinema and just going back and seeing it the next week, you know, having that, <laughs> just that uh, emotional, uh, I, I just want to be, live this movie, it's so cool kind of experience of which Hollywood movies deliver to kids all around the world. I hope still do, uh, but uh, and I just kept watching, and I became one of these VHS kids when my mother finally caved in and, and bought a like a VHS player. I just taped everything from television. I, I I rented stuff and and rented like another like uh, this movie box thing with a rented uh, VHS player, so I could tape the films Amazing. and record them and have them in my library you know and and then suddenly when i uh was like 14 i remember saying to myself well, people make these things is that can you do that is that possible can you be a filmmaker <laughs> and i just started to have this dream about making stuff and uh, uh and that i just watched everything and it started with back to the future and it was like these john hughes movies you know i loved Ferris Bueller's Day Off and and uh, and the Breakfast Club and I was watching the Breakfast Club when I was probably like eleven and looking at it saying oh, I want I want these problems these people yeah. have so interesting problems and I have my problems are so boring you know? and <laughs> and, uh, and so a film for me was kind of that as it is for everyone kind of an escape but yeah. through movies like club you kind of feel oh you can take characters seriously you can make something more 
more real, you know. So and uh, and then I started to exhaust the Hollywood section, which was like eighty percent of the local video store. And then I had to go to the European section and watch movie, French movies, and whatever. And then I fell in love with other kind of films, and and I thought that would be my path, you know. And then I went to film school and whatever. It just I just love movies. I can talk movies all day. And at what point did it become a reality? Was it at film school, knowing that then you could make that to be a profession? Did you think, really, I can do this? Or were you still kind of thinking it's a dream, but I really hope it could become a reality? It's actually, I mean, I had, since I was 14, I wanted to make movies, but no one in my family did anything artistic. I didn't know anyone in the movie business. So for me, it was very abstract. And that's when I thought, hmm, well, I can start writing stuff. Now I can stop you from writing a screenplay. But at the time, uh, if you want to make a short film and have it considered for film school or for festivals, you had to shoot on film, which was very exclusive. Yeah. Know, very expensive. And it just felt like I, I, I don't know how to go about doing that. So I started to read, read screenplays that I found in the local Cinematheque library and and just be interested in writing stuff just because i thought that would be easier no one can just no one can stop me from doing that uh but the, the actual turning point for me was meeting my good friend and collaborator Joachim Trier yeah when we were both i, I can't remember if well 18 or 19 or whatever we we met and we both want to make movies and we both loved movies and we became like instant best friends because we didn't have anyone else around us that shared that ambition. And the fact just sharing the ambition made it more real. Yeah. You know? yeah. And also as a bonus, Joachim was from a filmmaker family. Uh, his father was a sound engineer. Yeah. His, his uh, uh, his mother had made documentaries and worked in television. His grandfather was a director. Uh, and uh, just like that, you know, his father was so good at networking and had given the right person at the right time at the camera rental house a whiskey bottle. And suddenly we could lo- loan the camera out and, and shoot something. <laughs> I love and, it. and then, then, uh, then, uh, we, we got going, you know, we helped each other making short films and uh, started working together. And then, then it felt real. And then yeah. uh, I just felt like at one moment, someone, I, I will just witness someone with real talent and, uh, and I will just feel ashamed and just stop doing this. Uh, <laughs> but I'll keep going until then. And, and it still hasn't happened. You know? It's <laughs> still going. Yeah. And at the moment we're promoting The Innocence and I was lucky enough to see this film this week and I remember some horrors that stuck with me from the very moment I saw them. So Funny Games was one that I remember watching and it blew my mind. Let the Right One In is probably one of my favourite horrors of all time. And truly The Innocence has left me thinking about this film for the last couple of days solidly. It is genuinely a masterpiece. Um, I was blown, blown away. And what I want to know is where did the initial idea come from? Was it the fact that you have yourself obviously become a father? Is that correct? Yeah, I took it. So is that experience from being around your children initializing an idea there? Definitely. And I'll I'll get uh, when they're old enough to listen to these kind of things, they'll 
blame me for saying that the movie was inspired by having kids and, uh, <laughs> because uh, it might give people the wrong idea of my kids uh but uh yes definitely the the I was never that interested in childhood. I was very happy, like watching Breakfast Club and wanting to be that the age. John Hughes now, kid, I, yeah. I, I, I always looked forward to growing up. And when I did, I didn't look back. Uh, and uh, I had a lot of friends and still have that constantly reference their childhood. Like it happened yesterday, you know, like uh, of it's a very important part of their their uh, their life, obviously, as it is for everyone, but also something they they have very present and for me it wasn't like that so it was when I had kids I kind of rediscovered childhood yeah by watching my kids and seeing how they uh, moved about and evolved but also by watching them uh, that triggered childhood memories in me I, I suddenly I would remember doing something like i saw my son doing and i would get this feeling of being a child and it would just wash over me for like a second because i was reminded how radically different it is to be a child than to be an adult you feel stuff in a completely different way you have no concept of time like adults do you don't have the same rationality you don't you mix uh, fantasy and reality your worldview is very elastic because you learn new stuff every day. So you're so open. Yeah. And uh, and and uh, we're not like that as adults. And I, I just felt with my kids also that they were kind of living in a parallel universe. They, they experience stuff all the time that they feel so strongly. And they don't really have the words to tell me about them. Or even the uh, they don't even think to try to tell me about them because they're already uh, passed on to something else. You know, they're already doing something else. So they not, they wouldn't think of t- talking about what happened three minutes ago, which is, uh, and I just felt, wow, this is interesting. Can I, can I go back to that place, that secret world of childhood and, and make a film? I, I think that was uh, how it started. And when you're doing the casting for this film, something that I miss as an adult, which I think definitely talking to you now makes me realise, is the lack of an active imagination that I would have as a child. Uh, I remember going out and playing and I could be in any world. I could be going in a field, but it could be like the set of the Goonies or I could be going on a ship and all this. And you lose that as an adult, you know, because everything's a lot more real and serious. So when you were casting... Were you looking specifically for children with these active imaginations that were just free to do whatever you told them and would be open to all this adventure? Very good question. We had uh, like several stuff we were looking for in our uh, casting and we did a very soft casting where we tried, we, we didn't like give them text no. uh, and test them. You know, uh, the, the first few times when I met them, we did other stuff, but one of the things we did that was very interesting was that we gave them all uh, a photo. Okay. And it was the same photo for everyone. And we said, what's happening in this photo? Tell us what 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 do you think yeah, is the story here? And, and it was very obvious to see who had that capacity of imagination at the same time what they told us because it was a very neutral image. It was like two children with their back to the camera, walking inside the forest. 
and it could be two brothers, it could be two friends, uh, you didn't know anything, but then they would tell some stories and uh, and some would tell really dark stories, you know, some very imaginative, crazy stories or, and, and, you, and you also see how these people, these young kids who tell these very dark stories, they must have lived through some shit. I mean, it doesn't mean yeah. they were abused or whatever, but they have some sort of, they have some experience, you know? And, uh, and that was interesting that they had been through something because you can draw on that as an actor, even though you're a child, you know? You need to have lived through something and also just to be reminded of that yeah, capacity of imagination that kids have was just fascinating to, to watch. And one of my favorite films over the last sort of 10 years, 15 years was Super 8 by J.J. Abrams because the kid actors were leading the film. And I think if you get bought into a really good story, but the performances from a child is so strong, you don't need the adults. You don't need to worry. That's why I miss films like Lost Boys and Goonies and Gremlins when it's all about the children. In this film, casting these children as leading actors were you ever nervous or worried about the fact that if they didn't perform well the film would fail you have so much pressure on these children at such a young age to deliver for you well definitely and uh and i felt the pressure uh all the time and uh, well not all the time actually but uh i had this rule when i write that i try to like leave practical problems of how to do it outside yeah. of the writing room because it's so easy to get blocked creatively you know it already as an adult it's hard to keep your imagination alive and you and you learn so much as an adult filmmaker that you like okay oh no i don't want to shoot in a car it's so cramped it's so hard to get interesting shots or no i don't want to do night shoots again the crew gets so tired we don't don't get anything done there's like a million things you learn that you just have to forget you know? yeah uh, and uh, and uh, so I I knew in the back of my mind that it would be difficult to work with kids, but I just kept it away, and until I had written myself into a corner because I wanted to do this movie, I just had to do this film, even though I've written it for four kids between seven and eleven, and they were in every scene, and there was also a cat, so I had kids and. Children, animals—you know—the things you shouldn't do. <laughs> yeah, never uh, makes. And, uh, and exactly what you said is that uh, I knew that if just one of these four kids didn't deliver on like great acting uh, for an adult audience, you know, uh, yeah. the movie would just fail. It wouldn't have, even have a chance to be decent. It would just go from from a possible great movie to something like really bad. So, so, but luckily my producer, Maria, she's, uh, she saw the same challenge, but also the same like upside to it. If we found them that I did. So we, we used a lot of the budget and time finding them, uh, working with them, getting them to trust us and, and, and learning and teaching them the the art of acting you know having workshops work in different emotions that they would need during the shoot and and, and like help them and i i ha i was so nervous about this all the way 
through pre-production and uh, and everything. And then when he started to shoot, that anxiety just left me because they were so good. You know, from the first day, all four of them just delivered in uh, and, and consistently. You know, it wasn't like we had to cut around stuff or whatever. They were just good. And you could really work with them and have different kind of takes with different intentions and just have fun with it. You know, that it was uh, so it's not true that you shouldn't work with children. You should just take your time to find the right ones. Yeah. Uh, but avoid working with cats. That's my one advice to young filmmakers out there. If you can write in a dog instead, do that. Yeah. Because uh, even the best animal trainers in Europe will will say they have trained a cat and they haven't. No. The, cat, <laughs> the cat will just sit there and lick its paws and, uh, and uh, you never feel time passing as when a whole film crew is uh, sitting there, the camera's rolling and the cat just doesn't comply you know <laughs> <It sits there. laughs> and with the feedback for the innocence all the reviews are absolutely glorious you know everyone is saying it's film of the year one of the best horrors uh, an absolute breathtaking ride from start to finish but not only that you were the screenwriter in the worst person in the world so the year that you've had you probably could never have imagined because did you ever sleep? Did you ever get any rest? Because this must have been the most <laughs> manic, hectic year of your life. But also, the fact you have had so much success, it must be—it must feel like a dream sometimes. You must be pinching yourself, thinking, "Is this real?" Well, definitely, it's been—it's been a wild ride since the, both movie premiered in Cannes last year, and since then it was, its just been wild yeah. uh, the kind of response the movies have been getting and from very different kind of audiences and uh even like the oscar nominations we got for worst person in the world and the screenplay the, the it was just so unexpected and so so wonderful you know so i'm, I'm just trying to enjoy it uh, and uh and uh of course my kids keep me grounded they're like oh you're leaving again dad yeah yeah, yeah. you're leaving us behind again to go through some uh film event but it's the oscars we don't care yeah <laughs> yeah i mean where do you go from here with this year that you've had that it must be really difficult to think like what do i do next have you already got your pen to paper are you writing as we speak are you sitting there with some ideas or is it even further than that have you got stuff in advanced talks or i i wish i had i mean I, i'm sitting i just just had a few uh, like a few weeks now with Joachim and we're sitting talking about a few ideas for his next movie after Worst Person in the World. Uh, but we haven't decided uh, yet. But the the thing is that uh, you, you're not the only one asking me, you know, well, what's your next project? And I, and I feel since Cannes last year when I was there with two movies that people have been asking that. And those people who ask are also people who could finance a movie, you know? Yeah. They could help me make it. And... Uh, and I feel like the the worst uh, writer director in the world that I don't have like three scripts under my arm and are passing them around to people because I, I have to say I know I have nothing. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> I'll get back to you, <laughs> and uh, and hopefully they won't have forgotten me when uh, the time comes uh, that I can uh, find the time to sit and write something because that's the that's the only disadvantage of. Uh, of uh, enjoying this kind of success where people are actually interested in what you've made.
Yeah. Uh, well, not the only backside because my kids feel that uh, I, I'm, I'm way too much. But uh, the uh, the professional uh, drawback is that I don't get time to write new stuff. So yeah. I'm just, now I'm just waiting for people to lose interest so I can <laughs> I can just withdraw and and uh, concentrate on the new new project, whatever it is. And something I ask everybody, it doesn't matter if they're a very famous worldwide actor or someone starting out, a huge director or somebody that's just getting into it. What advice do you give to anyone that's listening to the podcast today that wants to get into the film industry? Because it's a hard world to get in. It's an even harder world to get your name out there and be taken seriously. But there are people that listen that are going to film school or making films at home. What advice do you give to those people to try and get themselves seen in a world that I think is very hard to break through in? Well, there's a lot of noise. That is true. You know, it's uh, I, I feel, I mean, that you shouldn't give too much advice because people might listen to them and uh, and their path might be very different than yeah. yours. That's uh, what what I feel is the one thing that's never on is to make stuff and don't 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 think too strategically of where it might be end up what will someone see it in what way or whatever first just make stuff because you'll learn something every time and you'll get better and someone will see it and give you feedback and you'll realize something you did wrong or something that you might do differently the next time and and uh, and the more you make, the more chance you have that something will be noticed. You know, the, a festival will screen it, or someone will watch it on uh, on YouTube, uh, and suddenly you are noticed. I, I think you have to have to to break into movies. I think you have to have like a very pure motivation that you're doing it because you love it. You know? Yeah, you want to do it, and. Uh, and not just sit there and think, oh, how do I get an agent? Which is, uh, that will happen at one point if yeah. you just stick at it and, and do it because you like it. And then you'll do, then you'll find your voice because I think that's the most important thing. By doing it, you'll find out what you enjoy and you should do what you think is interesting. Because the worst thing you can do is to make something you think other people would find interesting and it's not true to you. And then you're failing on someone else's uh, uh, premises, you know, and you're not failing on your own. And that's the only way to learn. I love it. And my final question for you today is I try and make the Mark and Me podcast as original as I can. And the way that I do this is I ask everyone that comes on the podcast to choose the outro piece of music that is featured on the podcast so you get to choose any song by any band in the entire world or any piece of music and you get to choose the song that is played at the very end of today's interview oh i i like to go out with like something very unlike my movie and a very uh happy way so i'll uh casino royale where the Burt Backrack, the soundtrack from the original one. Wow, that's very different. Yeah. I was not expecting that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you'll, uh, you, you'll be uplifted. It's hard to uh, feel sad if you hear that. I love it. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. I can't wait for people to see The Innocence. Like I said, I truly think it's one of the best horrors I've seen in the decade. So I can't wait to see where you go next. Well, thank you. That's so nice of you, Mark. 
So there it is. There's my interview with me and the amazing director, Eskil Vart. And as you heard on today's interview, we focused a lot on his brand new film, The Innocence. It stayed with me for a long time after seeing it. Right now, if you're listening to this, go and check it out. It's showing in the cinemas in the UK right away. And honestly, you will not regret it. I meant it when I put it up there with the likes of stuff like Let the Right One In. It really did have those child performances that really freak you out. Unbelievable, an absolute masterpiece, and I can't wait to see it again. If you've enjoyed today's episode, as always, please share it on your social media networks, maybe Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. It costs you guys at home absolutely nothing and means a world to me. It gets the name of Mark and me spread to a whole new audience and really does go a long, long way. So if you're on Twitter, retweet and all the links are on markandme.com. If you've really enjoyed today's episode, I also have a Patreon page set up. Each and every month, you'll have exclusive episodes that are just for Patreon people. And thanks to the amazing guys at Richer Sounds, each month we have amazing prizes to give away. And honestly, each and every month they get bigger and better. But not only that, every penny that you invest into the podcast via Patreon goes right back into the podcast. That allows me to go out there and record more interviews, which means more podcasts for you guys at home. It really is needed and really, really does go a long way. So please, the link is on markandme.com. Anything that you sign up really does help. I'll be back in only a few days' time with a brand new episode. Thanks again for supporting Mark and me. I really do feel right now that it's just starting to really ramp up and I can't wait to see where it goes. So until my next episode, look after yourself, take care, and I'll speak to you all soon.